Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Eric Griffin is recognizable to fans of Comedy Central's Workaholics as Montez, but he's also a veteran stand-up comedian who's playing a stand-up comedian and a Vietnam veteran in the Showtime series about comedy in the 1970s, I'm Dying Up Here. I sat down with Griffin in L.A.'s iconic Cantor's Deli to talk about his career path, what it's like to fictionalize stand-up comedy for TV, and the making of his first one-hour special, The Ugly Truth, which premieres on Showtime this July. So let's get to it! got me on there yeah hello, eric hello. griffin i've got you on here okay <laughs> we're at uh we're at canner's deli which is a uh, how how weird and not only an institution in los angeles but also a um a secondary backdrop for i'm dying up here yep and we go to canter's a lot i think that's the we go to canter's more than probably more than the club it seems like in in this show <laughs> yeah we're i think we're yeah i think we're at canter's more than we are and then in the pilot, we actually filmed here at Cantor. So that was probably the most expensive part of the pilot was shutting down Fairfax and having all those 70s cars drive by oh, wow. in the window. So that was probably like... What, what, did, what did you use for the comedy club? Uh, we built... They had a soundstage in okay. uh, Culver City. So they really did a great job. You know, I got to give it to the, um, the, uh, the set designers and all that. They really made it look delicious. No, it looked like an old throwback Vegas mm-hmm. cocktail lounge with the... Half circular booths, and yeah, with the booths and the and it's just the look. The, the look of the show is great. I mean, you can't deny the look of the show. What was your first ever experience, either knowing about or visiting the comedy store? My first experience with the comedy store was I took a class at UCLA Extension. Okay, uh, a stand-up comedy class. The first, my first foray into. Uh, I was like twenty-two years old, and yeah, the, you're out of school. Still in school? I, no, I was just um, I was just getting out of college, okay. or like you know, deciding if I wanted to stay in college. And I went to that class that was taught by Sandy Shore, which is uh, Mitzi Shore's daughter. So the showcase for the, the the class was at the comedy store in the original room. So the first time I ever did comedy was at the comedy store. Who was there? Just uh, your friends, or so just yeah? It was just friends and family in the crowd, and. Uh, I remember the, 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 they did a regular show as soon as we got off stage. As soon as we finished our show, it was um, Carlos Mencia and then Chris Tucker went up after him. I'll did never Carlos get that. a lot of material out of the students? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> it's safe now. He was just coming up, though. He was just like, you know. We're in a safe space now. Are we? <laughs> Well, comedy-wise. <laughs> I can't speak for the rest of the world. Uh, it, but it was, uh, so that's the first time I, that was my first experience with the comedy store. What was Sandy like as a teacher? Um, I didn't know, I didn't know what to expect, mm-hmm. you know? So she was, uh, it was very interesting. She had her father come in to speak to us, and it was a great, safe environment. I realized it was, if you've never done comedy, that's a great way to start it. Because, you know, you're working on your jokes every week with, with you know, these strangers. And you kind of get a tight-knit group. And, you know, you get, you know, you get your set together. It's like it's a great way to work on it, you know. But after that, you got to get out there. It's, it's not the same as, like, the grind. But it's a good, safe uh, environment. So she provided that. 
did you know anything about her family or the no? I didn't know. I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, so my first thought was like, oh wow, this is going to be a way in. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, turns out it wasn't at all. It was the the worst way in. What what happened after that graduation? Well, once you start to figure out that people have no respect for people that go to classes. And then you realize that you have to go to open mics and mm-hmm. you have to go to like, um, you know, you have to you have to pay your dues. You know, I, I didn't know that at the time. I, I was I was ill prepared for that. But did you immediately start seeking that out, or I, was I, there a lot I, of time after the graduation where you're like maybe I could do this, or maybe I could? There was a lot of floundering around. Teach that, basketball. Yeah, there, was a, there was a lot of like, what am I going to do with myself? Mm-hmm. So I would go to open mics every three or four weeks I tried to get some shows I wasn't really prepared for it so that's why you know it just didn't happen for me then you know so I took a long time off you know I was like 21 22 and I tried to do open mics for a year or two and I just I just you know and then I just I didn't think it was going to really happen so then I just completely quit altogether and then I didn't come back to it till I was 30 what did you do in the in I was between? going to school. I was uh, t- working. I had a whole different life. I didn't think I was going to be an actor or a comedian. I didn't think I could. What changed that? I didn't want to wake up 50 and be like I didn't follow my dreams. You know, I just was, was that on your 30th birthday or was that it was like it was there? around it wasn't because of that. It just mm-hmm. was around I was at a job that I hated. It, uh, you know, I just it wasn't a career. It was just a uh, just a job. I learned the difference between a job and a career at that time in my life. And then I was like, well, let me do this, you know. And then I just, you know, I had enough money. I had, I had a, 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 not a lot of money, but I had just enough money to where I could be like, okay, I could survive for a few months, you know. And my mom was very supportive. She wanted me to make it. And so I, you know, got a commercial agent so shortly after. And I just started, I started to grind. I started over. You know, I went to open mics every single day. And I just, you know, built my way up, you know. Then it was like. How did you get that first agent, though? A friend of mine. A buddy of mine, Eric Edwards, actually, uh, he 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 gave me the introduction to his agent, and I met with her, and she signed me right away, like the first meeting. Oh wow! She said, she goes, you know what? There's something about you. I saw your, I saw, sent her a stand-up tape. She was like, I loved your stand-up, but you're gonna you're gonna book a commercial right away. And sure enough, I did. So that was like, so I was supplementing my income with a little bit of that, you know, doing commercials, and then and then in like in 2004. Is when I started like going on the road. I went. To, I did triple runs. You know that was a nightmare, but it was a great experience. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it in for anything. Right. right. The triple run is uh, Dave Tribble is a booker who has a ton of one nighters throughout the Pacific Northwest, mostly and the Montana. Mountain, yeah, yeah and mostly the Montana, mountains, Rocky Mountain area. And that was just great. I loved all those experiences driving around and like. Uh, you know, and then Pat Wilson's another one. And oh, yeah. She was like in the Pacific Northwest. She was like you know. So I was doing her gigs and. Uh, you know, Where are you from originally? I'm LA? from LA. I'm from LA, so it's, it's a nightmare. You know what I mean? Like being in LA and like because you have to travel but, but everywhere. It's not usual that an LA guy would end up hooking up with Pat Wilson and Dave Tribble and go. But you know up what it north. what it is is I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it here in LA. You weren't going to get 20 minutes in LA just starting out, mm-hmm. especially at that particular time. I had to get out of here. I knew it. I, I just I figured it out. I was like, I got to go do these other gigs. I got to get the time. So. You know, I did all those things, and, um, you know, about 2000, 2004, I started, you know, I did a, I did the Seattle contest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I did a Rocky Mountain laugh-off. I did. I was doing those kinds of things, and then it was like 2006 was when I did um, the Payaso Comedy Slam on Showtime. That was my first TV credit, you know. So Showtime's been really good to you. It's, it's <laughs> funny how I think about that. I go, I'm going full circle. My first... 
my first thing was Showtime, and now here I am. Thank you. Wow, this looks. I, I, I got a. I got a loaf of something here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the corned beef. Oh, uh, are we going to be to be continued right now? No, we're we? going. All right. <laughs> We're going to keep this short and sweet. All right. And, um, um, so go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to yap on about myself, but you tell no, me what you want No, you're talking about being like full circle with Showtime. Yeah, it's full circle. I, my first comedy credit was Showtime, and now here I am on Showtime with my special and this uh, great show that I'm on. Were, were you able to, to use that Piazzo Comedy Slam as a credit, or did that help? No, it didn't help no? at all. Of course not. With that name? Come on, man. Um <laughs> You know, and I'm, I'm, and I'm only like, I'm only like pseudo Latino as it is. You know, just, just in look alone. You know, so, which has always helped me, like being so racially ambiguous. Mm-hmm. People don't know what I am, so they just put me wherever they need me. Well, you're the future. I know. This is what this is what we're gonna look like, people. <laughs> I'm just sorry a, to a say, blend of stuff. <laughs> so it was like it wasn't until 2008 that I got live at Gotham, and that's that's the thing that really changed my life because. In 2008, I got live at Gotham, and I had um, was new faces at Montreal um, just for at last. Montreal that year too. And then I got my first agent, who like started sending me out on the road, you know. And then it was like I got a new manager shortly after, and like 2010 is when I booked Workaholics, and then the rest is uh, history, as they say. <laughs> for for I'm dying up here, um, you know, it's it's loosely based on. Very loose. Um, the it's mostly based off of the, the, our the shows. book, which is from the the late 1970s in the comedy store and the strike. Mm-hmm. But then the show really just kind of takes that as a jumping off point. Yeah, for, it's just a jumping off for point. For the feeling of that era. Yes, and it's really a lot of it had to do with like Jim Carrey's own stories. It was a lot of his own personal experiences and stories and things that he'd seen, things that he'd seen happen and things he heard about, things that he did himself. Those are the stories in our in our show. As someone who, who just came up in the 2000s did hearing all of this stuff surprise you um no it didn't because i can see how volatile the comedy business is and i can see how emotional and and the, the different levels of emotions that comics go through cuz i know from my own experience and just things that i've seen with friends and colleagues i go i'm not surprised about anything that happens in the comedy world i've seen i've seen fights i've seen com- comedians have you know tussles i've seen like um, emotional fights i've mm-hmm. seen like you know the bitterness of the business I- i've seen it so this is not surprising at all it's very authentic have you ever had any experiences yourself with mitzi yes mitzi spoke to me okay i, I had one showcase mm-hmm. and she didn't even talk to me i mean literally didn't even look at me okay i was standing right next to her and she wouldn't even look at me and then um oh that looks delicious <laughs> <laughs> I regret what I got. Damn you. Got pastrami panini. <laughs> I love pastrami. That looks yeah. so good. Anyway, I um, she, so then it wasn't until like a year and a half later that I got another showcase in the main room uh, just jumping on somebody's show and they were doing it as a showcase and she was there. And then I passed by her in the hallway of the comedy store and they were helping her because at that particular time she couldn't walk that well, you know, she, you know, but she looked at me and went, you were funny. <laughs> And that's it. That's the last time I spoke to her, you know. And that was like, God, two thousand six, right? Two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah. So it's like I I, I I cherish that because that I was probably one of the last people to like actually get passed by her. Oh, nice. You know, uh, you know the L.A. comedy club scene is so wild because all of the club there's the three main clubs mm-hmm. and they all have such colorful figureheads yeah 
I know they really do. Oh, the, yes, Bud, they do. Bud Friedman at the Improv and Jamie oh. Masada at the Laugh Factory. Jamie Masada. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's my so, man, though. People, he gets a bad rap, but you know, behind all the nonsense, he's a really great right. dude. So, I mean, I know Melissa Leo's character Goldie is loosely based, loosely off based like, on yeah. Mitzi, but but kind of just. But you know what, though, but imagine, kind of more kind of like any of these kind of like, oh, I'm I'm the club. But imagine being like uh, a woman owning her own business mm-hmm. in the seventies. That kind of person probably wasn't a soft personality. You know, um, I would imagine you you have to really be a go getter. You have to really like fight. And I think Melissa Leo captures that. You know, I think she really does. I think she does a great job in the show. You know, I think that I think that she really finds it in later episodes. You know, because the pilot is like, you know, she's it's a little, she's it's like over the top in the pilot, right? And there's a lot going on. There's a the lot pilot. going on. Yeah. Most pilots are weird because you have to introduce all these characters, set up the context of the show, right. and then hope people get it. And then and then the rest of the episodes are like, okay, now we're in the world. Here you are. So she really has some great vulnerability, and a lot of great stuff happens with her throughout the season. So I hope people tune into that. Had you watched any of the other movies about stand-up or? I've watched series, a few. Like it's hard. They're hard. To, a lot of them are hard to watch. You know, like Punchline. It's like just we don't have lockers at the comedy club. I mean, there's a lot of things you look at and you go. I think we should. I think we should have lockers <laughs> at the comedy club. <laughs> it's and showers. So, there should be. There should be there showers. Definitely should be showers. That'd be crazy. There's certain. There's certain. It's so hard to capture stand-up comedy. Even we have trouble capturing the stand-up comedy. Even in our show with stand-up comics on the show. Right. Well, it's that, because it's not a real crowd. You know those are extras and you know then it, it comes down to the editing and the choices and uh so we we did we did we did the very best because i like i'm not tooting our own horn but this is one of the, some of the best i've ever seen of it you know and it's still hard you know i know that you know even though jim carrey and the other eps are like had history with stand-up and specifically that scene but did you and al in uh, santino were you guys able to like pitch in as like Contemporary consultants and go, all right. You know, this is not. No oh, matter what, you know what, no matter what year you're trying to be, this is not something. We had a lot of say in like, like I have the realism of it. Yes, like there would be things like I wanted a stool on stage. I was like, where's the stool? I remember coming in and like one of the like I come. We had this big fight about the stool, so we got the stool. <laughs> and then I come in to do a scene, and the mm-hmm. stool's gone. And I said, I remember screaming like, where's the stool? You know, and then the director, this great, great director, mm-hmm. Jake, I forgot his last name though, but he was like, um, he was like, oh my bad, I didn't, I didn't want it there, I didn't look good there, <laughs> and I was like, it didn't look good. I was like, this is, you know, those kind of things that they just have no idea about, like right. where comics would stand, like would we have a conversation in the back of the club while someone was on stage? We fought about those kind of things, so we tried to make it as authentic as possible. Right, or like in the pilot when uh, uh, Sebastian Stan's characters. On Carson and you guys are all talking. Yeah, we're like, yeah, we're watching and we're talking smack. I mean, that's so authentic. Yeah. That's exactly how we really are. And then, how much, how much input did you have in your in terms of the, the stand up that you deliver on um, stage? I wasn't comfortable with trying to rewrite seventies material. Mm-hmm. So, unless the, the the wording was a little weird to me, I tried to like put my own flair on it. But a lot of the, I let them do that. Okay, you know, I know for season two, I'm gonna. If we have a season two, I'm going to be more aggressive about, like, I'm going to do more research on it because 
I'm still I was still trying to find out what is Ralph's voice you right. know what's his point of view because it took me Eric Griffin like 10 12 years to find my voice and I gotta you know find it for another character right. in like a few months it's really hard you and know? that character went to Nam and he went to yeah exactly do I look like I would be in war <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Did your dad? Did your dad ever say? My stepfather was in uh, Navy Reserve for like thirty years, so it was it was something. I did I did talk to him. I asked him, and I asked some other people, like how was it for people when they came back from Nam? Like what were they? And I remember going to the creators and saying, like, is this somebody that is he one of these weirdos? And it's like, no, it could just be somebody. I think that as even I thought about it as myself. How do I deal with the drama of my life? What I I take it to the stage. So I thought, oh, and I try to be normal in everyday life, and I let out all my emotions and vulnerability on stage. So I thought about it like that, you know. But then as you see in other episodes, like, Ralph does deal with, you know, some of his demons. Right. And then in your your hour special for Showtime, The Ugly Truth. The Ugly Truth. The Ugly Truth. (laughs) (laughs) Is the truth always ugly, or is it just inconvenient? I thought it was like, I thought it was, I thought it was play on words for Mm -hmm. me. I said, The Ugly Truth is like, you know. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm not traditionally handsome. So it's like the truth coming from me is the ugly truth. <laughs> and then the truth that I'm saying sometimes mm-hmm. can be ugly. Although you're probably like rising through the ranks of uh, actors with mustaches. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I think I'm top five all time. <laughs> there's Tom Selleck. It's Tom Selleck, you know. Um, there's, yeah, uh, exactly. You can't name a few. So now uh, it's going to be uh, me. I'm coming right there. Oh, you know, that, I'm chasing that, right? the goat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's been Who's been really helpful in terms of giving you advice as you're managing this aspect of your career? Um, I, I mean, I really feel like because it's been such a journey that I've really kind of got here just through experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's a lot of people at the comedy store that you can go to and that, you know, like Joe Rogan's around a lot, people like that. You can ask, hey, how did you do this? And Jim Carrey actually was great, a person to like, just hearing him talk about that era and hear, and, and hear the things that he's been going through, you know, just like he just has a like a higher level of uh, understanding of, uh, of himself and the world right now when right. you talk to him. So someone like that. Um, did he get you into meditation? No. But I can, but 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 I've tried meditation. Yeah. And actually, it's very helpful. Okay, I get one of those things called. There's an app called Headspace. Yeah, and it's great. Like you don't think it's working until at the end of it, you feel this sort of euphoric calm. You're just like, oh wow, that really. I'm at a different place right now. I feel comfortable. I feel relaxed. So when do you use it? I, at night, I'll use it at night. You know, I don't. Before I don't sit down. Or... I'll lay down and do it. You know, the you know. What about before you go on stage? Is that no? no? I, I need to be like hyped. I need to be. It's for me. Stand up's always better if I'm like like in a mood. You know. What do you do to hype yourself up? Then I, I'm talking with my friends. We'll talk about stuff. I'll just mm-hmm. be in the hallway and we'll be talking shit. And then just like you got that sort of like raw energy. Then you just go right on stage with that. That's always better. Like when I have three sets in a night. By set number three, I'm like on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? What about for the hour taping? The hour, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's so difficult about it. That's why you do two shows. So, you know, I know on the second taping, I was so comfortable. Right. You know? But that's there. why I did it at the Long Beach Laugh Factory is because it's a place that I'm real comfortable at. Uh, but, you know, that's the thing about taped stand-up. 
to try to manufacture that live feeling, not everybody can really accomplish it. You know, it's like not every, it doesn't always hit the mark. You know, but I tried to be as comfortable as possible, and I did material that I was really I've been doing on the road for a while, and I, I just tried to say, hey, my special is all about this is just Eric Griffin being funny, and if you hopefully you enjoy it, you know that, that that's that's what it was. You know what I mean? Like, come see me live. That's right. what I wanted to show. Hey, this is what I do. <laughs> so if uh, if someone sees your special or they see you on Showtime and um, they want advice for you because they're just either they're 21, 22 getting out of school or they're 30 and they're frustrated with their life and career and want to get in comedy, what's the first thing you tell them? I would tell them that people don't fail. They quit. Oh. So to continue, keep going, push hard. What if they're bad? You'll, you'll figure it out. <laughs> You will. You, some people should quit. Yeah, you'll know you're bad because it's like it's not going to happen for you, and and, it, and it's not going to happen for everyone. Like, come on, if if everyone could do this, then everyone would be doing it. Well, you're doing it. Yeah, doing it and doing it well. I'm doing it and doing it well. That sounds like, that sounds like lyrics to a rap song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's eat. Yeah, we got to eat, people. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.